Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. can't listen to that song without getting emotional. Do you believe? Do you believe in your inherent goodness all the time. I mean, that's the great work, isn't it? And I realize I use that phrase a lot, the great work. All of our teaching in unity stems from the awareness that we are individualized expressions of the creative magnificence of the universe. In other words, what we call God. We affirm that not from a point of hubris, not that we're any better than anyone else, or that anyone else is any better than we are, but as a reminder that we are here on this earth to give ourselves away. And by that, I mean to allow ourselves to be full and unfettered conduits of the grace and the goodness, and the wisdom, and the love that God is. Even if there are others who would not appreciate that, or understand that, or welcome that. Easter is coming up, and we will be exploring Easter, per se, in more detail next week, because that does set up what we call Holy Week. But that whole story is about somebody who knew that this right here is the kingdom, that this space in which he lived and that we lived is our opportunity to be God incarnate, not to throw lightning bolts and make other people do what we want them to do, but simply to be love and to hold the high watch and to see the divinity in everyone, even if they don't see it in themselves, or if they hide it really well, that same person can be you too. We'll talk about forgiveness in a bit. But that's really where we're going. We're, because forgiveness is really an expression of love. And it is not something simple. It is not something that comes naturally to a lot of folks. But when we awaken and discover and accept that we are these individualized lights of God in the world, then we recognize and realize that is to make real our potential and our capacity to let love flow freely from us, to empty out ourselves in the manner that we were shown in his example. So this month, I've been doing a series of talks based on this idea of eliminating negative thinking. We have this saying in unity that LENT, L-E-N-T, is an acronym 
for let's eliminate negative thinking. And I've invited us to really look at any place where we may be holding negativity towards any branch or any person within the Christian families of faith. Just to highlight, there are over 40,000 named Christian denominations in the world. Most of them are very tiny. And you can imagine that even within each one of those groups, there are multiple interpretations and understanding of the Jesus experience, the Christian experience. And that if you are a human being, and I'm pretty sure you all are, then you have a relationship with at least one of these branches. And if you have a relationship with at least one of these branches or sections of Christianity, whether formally or informally from a distance, then you realize that these collections of people are just that collections of people. And when you have a collection of people, whether it's a church or a homeowners association or a school or a city council, then there is the possibility that there may be times when you are not in complete agreement with said organization. Is, it, is that just me or has that happened to anybody else? Okay, great. And sometimes what happens is then because sometimes the, the relationship might go sideways or just be uncomfortable, there's negativity that happens. It's normal. We're human beings. It's part of our experience. But we're not supposed to stay there. I don't think. I think we can. I, I have this saying I like to share, and, and it's this. Let's never waste a bad experience. Well, truly, the universe doesn't waste energy, as I see how the universe functions and the plants grow and all that. So it seems to me that the universe isn't wasting energy. I have the capacity to do so. You might as well. So if we're going to have a bad experience, we can sit there and ruminate all day long, all week long, all month long, all year long about this really bad experience and give it a lot of energy. And if we're fixating and ruminating on the bad experience, then that energy is not going for something constructive like exercise or doing the crossword puzzle, things like that. We're tying up a lot of energy in hurt and woundedness. There's a time and a place for everything. And there is a time and a place to really deep dive, make that deep dive but it isn't all the time, and we certainly don't want to stay there all the time. So I'm inviting us to look at how we are using our energy. Now, within these 40,000 branch, branches and families of faith within the Christian tradition, unity falls in there somewhere. And here, <laughs> I'll tell you exactly where unity falls. We're right here. So I shared at the beginning of our series a map that kind of shows some of the antecedents and highlights of the origins of new thought, which is what we call unity, which is the pink box in the bottom. We, unity churches and centers don't just have one set of roots, uh, one parent organization. We pull from a lot of different traditions, as you may be aware when you come to unity, or if you've been a part of another community and another tradition, you come here and you might be thinking, where are they getting all this stuff from there? From the teachings of Jesus, from prehistory wisdom, from Socrates, Plato, from Phineas Quimby, from Franz Mesmer, from Madame Blavatsky, from Walt Waldo Emerson, from Emma Curtis Hopkins, from Mary Baker Eddy, from the Fillmores, and a whole bunch of other folks. And there we are. So we have a, a very eclectic approach. 
to how we experience divinity. But as human beings, don't we all experience divinity and the sacred in so many different ways? Whether it's out in nature, whether it's in the ashram, whether it's at the church listening to the pipe organs, whether it's in the shower, just having those shower thoughts and maybe a good cry at the same time. Is there any place where divinity is absent? And we recognize that truth shows up in a lot of different ways that we can be inspired to see ourselves and our world in a bigger, more expansive way through inspirations that come from a myriad of channels and that we can find the sacred everywhere. And if our hearts are open, if our minds are open, then we will. So we in unity gladly pull from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different traditions, a lot of different perspectives. Which may lead us to want to say, now, what, what is unity again? Let's, let's clarify, because I, I can't put all of that into a single box or a sentence. Well, here is our two sentences. Two sentences. This is your two-sentence definition of what unity is. Unity is a positive, practical, progressive approach to Christianity based on the teachings of Jesus and the power of prayer. Unity honors the universal truths in all religions and respects each individual's right to choose a spiritual path. I just love that because it does highlight our focus is on the Christian tradition. And yet it highlights that we're positive, looking for the good, practical, want our teachings to be something you can do in your life today on your own, and progressive, meaning always looking to see how can we live into and give shape and form to this kingdom idea that Jesus talked about. We understand that prayer and meditation and spiritual practice take a lot of forms, and each one for individuals at different times will open up those neural pathways and those heart pathways to feeling and having an intense and very profound and meaningful experience of the sacred. We recognize that the world's faith traditions offer the same thing and that we love to partner and work together with our faith partners from other traditions to see how we can co-create a world that works for everyone. My friend Ramona describes interfaith work as a salad, not a soup. Because in a soup, all the ingredients come together and they become one thing, and it's kind of one taste, metaphorically speaking. In a salad, each ingredient keeps its flavor and its taste, its integrity, and yet the salad is better because all those flavors are together in that bowl. So I love that. And we come back to this notion of the individual having the right and the responsibility, I would say, for him or herself or their, themselves to understand and to codify a belief system, a, uh, a way of being that allows them to live in integrity, that allows them to know themselves as the light of spirit in the world. It comes back to this song, You Say, that even in our darkest and roughest moments, when we are frightened and alone and abandoned and betrayed, there too 
is the power and presence of God. Even if we feel forsaken, even if we're having a really bad Friday and try to cover it up by calling it Good Friday, more on that next week, we're still enfolded in the care and keeping of the divine. So this is what unity is. This is where we are coming to. So I shared last week, though, that some, some problems that we as individuals have with, well, any organization, really, uh, or any faith community. Um, my friends in other religions have the same problems, and I'll just kind of run through this list again in case you weren't with us last week. There are only 17. We'll get through it pretty quickly. Everyday annoyances, the people were rude, uh, the signage was bad, they had clicks, nobody talked to me, the culture was impenetrable, the minister told bad jokes, that's not here. Um, or another one, the worship was outdated, the, the, the rituals seemed irrelevant, the format was uninspiring. Or maybe another one is they had a theology of exclusion rather than inclusion. We're not going to allow the gays. We're not going to let women lead, um, that sort of thing. Or maybe the theology no longer fit the times or the culture. Um, uh, you know, maybe they're just teaching things that just make no sense in our modern 21st century. Sometimes individuals have an experience with a community where they have outgrown the theology that whatever is taught in that community might work for that community, might make the adherents in that community feel satisfied and identified. We, this is who we are. And yet any one of us as an individual may think, you know, that doesn't fit me anymore. So it's time to move. Sometimes it's just the garden variety hypocrisy. They teach love up here. And come down here, the backbiting and sniveling and the sneaking and the meanness. And it's like, okay, don't need that in my life. Um, sometimes in our lives as individuals, we have a personal crisis or challenge or tragedy. And the church just isn't there for us. Or the community wasn't there for us. And we're like, what? Or sometimes that happens on the collective. When there's a natural disaster or a challenge somewhere. And people ask the question, why didn't God do something about that? Well, my response is always look for the helpers. Different talk for a different day. Sports. Nothing wrong with sports. It's really good for us to move our bodies. But a lot of sports happen on Sunday. So it's a lot of kids' sports on Sunday. So can't go to church, go into sports. Um, sometimes individuals just find a new way of worshiping and a new form of spiritual practice. That doesn't even happen on Sunday. It happens on Tuesday or Wednesday. And it's like, okay, I don't, I don't need church anymore. I'm kind of out of here. Or sometimes there's all kinds. There's negative associations. You know, I saw the Christians on TV saying this, and I saw that group of faith people doing that mean thing over there. And it's just like, ugh, I don't want to be a part of that. That's just, no. Or sometimes the, the church takes legal, uh, legal or political stances that is, that is different and contrary to what you would hold to be true. Or, you know, some sort of things like that. And I did a show of hands last night to see if any of those were applicable to anybody in this room. I'm not going to do it this week. We can just answer that on your own. And yet I do have to say faith communities do wonderful work. How often is it that you see this situation on the news where there's a tragedy, like maybe a horrific tornado in Alabama. And who's helping? The churches, the synagogues, the mosques. 
individuals moved from the goodness of their heart to live the truth they know. I need to go make a difference. Because faith communities do that too. And faith communities build people up and give them format and culture and give them a place to belong and meaning. And so we struggle then, don't we, sometimes with the fact that a community or a specific church, a specific mosque, a specific synagogue can, can, can demonstrate great strengths, great power, great wisdom, and the other stuff, too. The less than's not good enough, collective failures. And then we find ourselves in a relationship then with either an entire religion or a particular community that has strengths and defects. How capable are we of being in relationship with ambivalence? It's the great question. And then we can even personalize it because we realize that each one of us as an individual has great character strengths. We all have our Superman and Superwoman inside just waiting to be expressed and often being expressed. And we also have that shadow part that we really don't want to talk about. We have that relationship with ourselves. That's why I love that song you say. It reminds us of the truth of who we are, that we are always loved, that we are good at our core, and it, I believe, helps us to remember, so are they, whoever they happen to be to you. Like I said, maybe they're doing a real good job hiding their light, but it's still there. So how then do we transform this relationship with negativity in our lives? Well, three steps. There's probably more, probably not less. First one is just state what's the problem. So if you have an ambivalent relationship with church, with religion, with faith, with someone, with something, first step is say, what's the problem? Lay it out there. Identify it. We just got to have it be said and have it be known and as human beings, it's imperative for our wholeness and well-being to be witnessed without judgment. For somebody to say, this is my experience, and somebody else to listen and not immediately jump into solution. Well, you know, you need to, you ought to. Just listen, witness. Second step is our, have to get to the point where we become willing to release that energy. We talked a little bit about this last week. Oftentimes, we hang on to this negativity. We hang on to the resentment. We hang on to the anger because it helps us identify ourselves and even helps us to be in a position of empowerment. Righteous anger. I'm better than them. I'm better than that. And yet, we are spending a lot of energy that we will never get back on a past experience. And for a time, it's appropriate to do that, right? We have to process. We have to feel what we feel. Because if you don't consciously feel what you feel, trust me, your soul knows what's going on. Your body knows what's going on. So we want to be able to, to just be in that space for a while and then be willing to leave that space. I've shared in the past that my ministerial partner and I in St. Uh, Petersburg in Florida, where it's even warmer than it is here today, had a rule. 
you can complain for 15 minutes and I'll actually listen for the first three. And at the end of the 15, we're getting back to work. So I have to be willing to change. And then the third part is to forgive and engage in that forgiveness process. There's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstanding about what forgiveness is and what it is not. So I want to tell you what it is first. Forgiveness is an act of self-love. Self-love by saying, I forget, I love myself so much that I'm willing to let go of this dead weight I've been dragging around. I will give myself my own freedom by letting it go. You don't do forgiveness for somebody else, even though they may come and ask for forgiveness. You do that for yourself so that your life energy can be used more constructively for the things that matter to you today. Forgiveness is not forgetting. There's that old dictum, you may have heard it before, those who forget the past are condemned to relive it. And as somebody who has conveniently forgotten the past a time or two, I've gotten to relive it. I hate it when that happens. Now, my choice is to beat myself up for being so, you know, so stupid that I fell into it again. Or my choice is to say, hey, I noticed that. Making a mental note. Don't fall into that trap again. Making a note. Acknowledging I've learned something and moving on. That's all you have to do. You don't have to beat yourself up, world without end, amen. Actually, nobody is keeping score. Just you and only you. Forgiveness is, and you know, and, uh, I, I remember when I was a college student in Europe walking around in Germany and in the Netherlands seeing uh, synagogues that were burned in Kristallnacht in 1938. All of them had a sign, never forget, never forget, never forget. We have to remind ourselves of this never forget because as human beings we do have a capacity sometimes to forget. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. It can be. We sometimes hold that up as a golden standard, that whatever they did or you did to them, whatever, you can all heal that and get back together again. And sometimes it does happen. It has to be a very conscious effort. And all parties have to make a decision that this is not going to happen again, where a feasible and appropriate amends get made. But most importantly, it's the follow-up action that makes all the difference. But there is no rule that says you have to re-enter into a relationship with that person, that organization, or that church ever again. But in the forgiveness process, you are saying, I'm liberating myself. Now, all this being true, one thing we mentioned last week, and it is imperative to bring up again, Memory. We remember things, don't we? And sometimes things have an emotional charge. So when the thing comes back to mind, 
And if it feels, if you feel a heart tug or a kick in your gut, that sort of thing, you have a choice. You can either say, oh, I haven't fully forgiven. Oh, woe is me, I'm a bad person. Or you can say, wait a minute, I think this is a chronic condition. And I can recognize this is something I just may need to live with for a while, maybe forever. But it doesn't have to run my life. It doesn't have to take my day. It doesn't have to dictate what I do. It's almost like this experience I, I heard about, in, and, and I'm going to steal from one of my ministerial interviews that I was doing last week with ministerial students. Um, grief in a box. You know, you put your grief in a box, and sometimes it's like a little pebble, and it rolls around, and it's like, yeah, it's there. It's not a big deal. But some days, it's a beach ball, and it's about to burst the seams. And then another day, it's smaller again. And that's kind of what happens with our memory and our resentments and our angers. You know, we just kind of put them in a box. We know they're there. They don't have to run and dictate our lives. There's a saying that we sometimes use that when talking about people to forgive, and you may have heard this, you've probably heard it from me from this very location, that we recognize that sometimes people are just doing the best they can with what they know at the time, and it wasn't that great. I sometimes think about that, and I think, really? Do they really not know what they were doing? course they knew what they were doing. But sometimes as human beings, and all of you, again, as we affirmed earlier, are human beings, may be under so much stress or fear or ignorance or false belief or erroneous belief, may say or do or not say or do the harmful thing to somebody else or to yourself. It's like, oh, it happened. That's part of my humanity. Am I a bad person? No. You say, I am strong. It just means I'm a human being, growing in my awareness and my capacity to be the light of God expression, expressing in the world. And that's when we recognize what happened. We have to be willing to change and then take the action, forgiving ourselves and when it's appropriate to make amends to others, except if to do so would cause further injury. There is a line in the book of Matthew where Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter came to him and said, Lord, if my brother or sister sin against me, how, must, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, no. Seventy times seven times. We can look at this story in a number of ways, but what I choose to look at it and how I choose to see it today is that forgiveness is a way of life. We will be doing this work for our entire lives because for our entire lives, we will be in that continual process of discovering who we are, finding ourselves in new situations that challenge us. Other people will be doing the same thing. We run the risk of being hurt or hurting others. But as long as we are willing to acknowledge what happened, to be willing to change, and to take appropriate action, we'll be fine. 
So whether your issue is with any particular church or faith community or any organization, remember that there are practical spiritual tools that you can use to make peace. You know, I, I love the line. There's a, in the book of John, just prior to all the crucifixion stuff, there are what's called farewell discourses. And Jesus is setting up the disciples for what's coming because he, he knows. And he repeatedly says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace. You know, when we think about how the world gives peace, it's like we're going to make the other one surrender. We're going to control the other one. We're going to, to do these uh, controls on ourselves. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about using our thoughts, using our actions, using our words, not for punishment or retribution, but for healing and restoration. So I just invite you to be in that space to realize that we are all equipped to be peacemakers and healers in the world. And that if we've had negative experiences in the unity of Fairfax or any other faith community, we can let them go and we can move on as bearers of light and wholeness and love in the world. Next week, we're going to look at some very dramatic examples of how that happens. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.